Welcome to Have Hope, Will Travel. I'm your host, Katie Axelson, and I know that Christmas was so two weeks ago. We've moved on and we've celebrated New Year's. But did you know that today is actually the 12th day of Christmas? Which means if you've already taken your tree down, shame on you. Just kidding. No shame. I'm just trying to justify that my tree is still up. My tree is still up, actually, for a couple reasons. Partly because, well, I stole it from my parents. Now listen, my mom owns four Christmas trees. And since it's my first year in my new house, I don't know what I want for a Christmas tree yet. And so I said, Mom, can I borrow one of your trees just this year? I'll give it back. And she hesitated. She has four trees! That's four full-size trees and three smaller trees. There are no shortage of trees, but she hesitated. And after weeks of me searching for the perfect tree, the perfect artificial tree, remember, I couldn't find it. She finally said, fine, you can borrow my tree. So when I left their house at Thanksgiving, she just loaded her Christmas tree into my car loose. Like it wasn't in a box or anything. It was just loose tree all over the back of my car. And she said that she was keeping the Christmas tree coffin hostage so that I would actually bring her tree back. Okay, mom, I see you. Well, then a couple weeks later, she called me to confess that since I had one of her trees, one of her four trees, she had to go buy not one, but two new Christmas trees so I could keep this one. Y'all, now I just have a loose tree in my basement if I take it down. So I have not taken it down yet. My parents are coming in January and they want to see my house decorated for Christmas and they're going to bring the Christmas tree coffin. So I'm going to have a tree up quite a bit longer than most people do. But I actually really love it because I like to linger at the manger a little bit longer than most people do. And I love sitting here staring at my Christmas tree while I'm talking to you. And the story of the Messiah doesn't begin at Christmas. It begins long before a baby was born in Bethlehem. And it doesn't end at Easter. It continues on well beyond the resurrection. So let's not stop reading the Christmas story when we get to the end of Matthew 2. Let's keep the story going. In fact, today is the 12th day of Christmas, which means I hope that your true love gave you 12 drummers drumming. Because that's apparently what they're supposed to have given you today. So today I've got a scripture that's a little bit after Christmas. It's from Matthew chapter 3. It says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, and take the child and his mother to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and they left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. So it was fulfilled that the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I will call my son. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time when he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Probably not what Joseph had in mind for his brand new marriage. A pregnant fiance followed by a middle of the night flee to a country where you don't speak the language and don't know the customs 
all because your child is on the ruler's hit list. I'd rather not spend my first year of marriage hiding baby God so that I'm not killed. But here's the thing. If the only things that matter are Christmas and Easter, and Jesus only came to die for our sins, he could have been killed in Herod's rampage with all of the other little boys. But he wasn't, which shows us that his life matters too. That we get to learn how to live like him. Through his life, Jesus taught us how to live. How did he live? He taught about God and he healed the sick. Everywhere he went, you see it in scripture time and time again. Jesus taught, Jesus preached, Jesus healed. And after his resurrection, he gave us the command in Matthew 28 to do likewise. But we live in a very different world than Jesus lived in. So what does it look like to live like Jesus? The Jews had literally hundreds of commandments that they were following. There were commandments written around the original commandments to safeguard so that they weren't accidentally breaking the important ones and sinning. It was like drawing a line in the sand and then putting a six-foot barrier around it so you didn't even maybe get near to almost crossing it. Jesus taught that there are two greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says it in Matthew 28, but it's actually a Jewish teaching. You can find them in Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. Those aren't just random chapters. Those are key chapters of the Torah. But what do they mean? You were born to be loved. That's the reason you're here on earth to be loved by God. And out of his love, we get to love others. As daughters of God, we get to speak on his behalf, to know his voice and to represent him. A few weeks ago, I saw a new doctor for an injury I'm working through. And the medical assistant who took me back and heard my story told me he doesn't usually work with the doctor that I was seeing. He usually worked with one of the surgeons at the clinic, but was pinch hitting and working for my doctor that day. And I'm going to tell you a secret. I actually like the medical assistant better than the doctor I saw. And when I needed a follow-up appointment, I wanted to work with that medical assistant surgeon rather than my doctor because I was so impressed with the MA that I felt like the doctor representing him had to be equally phenomenal. And that's how we get to represent God. I want people to look at me and realize that the God I serve must be an even better version of me. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm in no way perfect. I will snark with the rest of them. I will flip out over little things. I have more than my share of idiosyncrasies. I have been nicknamed the crab. But I represent Jesus. And I want to look more and more like him every day. And I want to know his voice so that I can speak on his behalf. We're going to talk about knowing God's voice in an upcoming episode. But for now, remember that He gets to use your voice to speak his love. And that's what it looks like when Jesus tells us to love your neighbor as yourself. We practiced that in December when Sammy shared what it was like to be Jewish at Christmas time. We're going to practice that again soon coming up as we travel and meet other friends who are different than we are. We get to love our neighbors as ourselves. But who is my neighbor? I don't know most of the people who live in my neighborhood, I'll just be honest. I'm meeting them, slowly, 
but what if my neighbor is the coworker that I spend 40 hours a week with? What if my neighbor is the car driving down the highway next to me? What if my neighbor is the cashier at the grocery store that I visit every single week? What does it look like to love each of those individuals like myself? Throughout Jesus' life, he heals. When I was in Israel, our guide explained that all of the healing Jesus did on the Sabbath wasn't actually against the law. As it turns out, if you had the ability to heal, you had to do it on the Sabbath. You had to heal if you could. We have the ability to heal. We carry it in our hands. We carry it in our backpacks. We carry it in our love. We have the ability to heal. To live like Jesus looks like to encourage. Jesus celebrates people. He invites them to take heart. That means to have courage. Who's somebody in your world you can encourage today? Sometimes it can be something as simple as, hey, I really like your outfit. That's a cute haircut. It meant a lot when you said that to me. These are little things that don't take a lot of effort. To live like Jesus means to accept the rest that he offers. God doesn't speak in shameful shoulds. You're not obligated to participate in something. That's not from God. Now there's power in showing up. There have been seasons of my life when I have had to consider it a victory if I physically made it to church. The condition of my heart and if I worshiped at church is a whole different issue. I couldn't handle that at the time. I needed to count it a victory if I showed up. Even if I sat there with my arms crossed over my chest, scowling and arguing in my head with everything the pastor said, I was still there and for that season, it's still a win. Don't get me wrong. I'm in no way saying this is a good place to be. I'm merely admitting that I was there and that shame wasn't going to be the way that got me out. So if that's where you are today, pull up a chair and let's chat because I don't want you to be stuck there because I don't want to be stuck there. And Jesus doesn't want you to be stuck there. It's easy to get stuck in the hard places. I'm sure Mary and Joseph, living like refugees in Egypt, felt like they were stuck. Scripture doesn't tell us what that period of life looked like for them, but I bet they had to remember all of the promises that God had made, all of the promises about this son, all of the prophecies about the Messiah, all the dreams and the angels and all the goodness that showed who God is. I'm sure that for most of you, when you turn on the sink in your kitchen, water comes out. What an idea. But what about when it doesn't? Maybe you're handy and you can figure out what's going on yourself. Or maybe you can call a plumber. If you know that water's going to be down for a while, you might fill a pot or maybe the bathtub with water just in case. Those are our modern day wells. Imagine back before there were sinks in our houses. You had to travel to the well to get water. You'd walk there, pump the well, gather your water, carry it home. The next day, you'd get up and you'd do it again and again and again. And every time you went to the well, you expected there to be water. Just like every time you turn on the faucet, you expect there to be water. And so what are the wells in your life? 
The memories that when you call them to mind, you know that joy and peace are going to come too. Maybe they're simple, like the look of excitement on a friend's face when you walk into a restaurant. Maybe it's a smell, like the Christmas cookies, that bring back a positive memory. Or what about a time when you knew God was there? When you knew without a doubt that he had shown up? For me, one of my wells is when I lived in a tent in the Dominican Republic. One day, there were ants in my tent. Hundreds of them. Underneath my bag. I spent hours throwing everything out of my tent and cleaning it so that not a single ant remained. I moved back into my tent that night, and the very next day, do you know what happened? The ants were back. Hundreds of them, underneath my bag. I don't know where they were coming from. I don't know why they were there. I had been tented there for several weeks, so it wasn't like I had ended up on an ant hill. I didn't have any food in my tent. There was no reason for them to be there. But there they were, back again. To say I was mad might be an understatement. I was livid because I did not want to be cleaning out my tent every single day to get rid of these ants. There was nothing I could do differently that would make these ants go away. At the time, I was reading a book called Circle Maker by Mark Batterson, and it talks about how the Israelites circled Jericho seven times. And Mark had used a similar experience in his own life where he circled some land that he wanted for the church and prayed over it. So it's about praying circles around what you feel like the Lord has promised you. And I don't know that the Lord promised me an ant-free tent, but I know that I didn't want those ants there. So I thought, maybe I could try this. So I walked in a circle around my tent. I felt ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. But I declared each circle for something that I didn't want in my tent. The first one, of course, was for ants. The second one, bees. The third one, mosquitoes. The fourth one, rain and water. The fifth one, vermin. The sixth one, bugs of any kind. The seventh, anything else that I forgot to add that I didn't want in my tent. And then I walked away. And I felt like the Lord said, go check your tent. And I said, no, 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 I'm not going to check my tent. And he said, do you think I need time to get ants out of your tent? And I said, no, I know you don't need time. And he goes, then where are you going? Go check your tent. I said, I'm not checking my tent right now because I don't want to deal with the ants if they're still there. I really showed him. And he said, Katie, go check your tent. So with my arms over my chest, I stomped back to my tent and I unzipped the zipper with one hand and I did not want to deal with any ants. Good news is, I didn't have to. They were all gone. This whole thing lasted maybe five minutes. From when I first noticed the ants, and then I prayed circles, then I stomped away, and then I checked my tent and the ants were gone. The Lord can get hundreds of ants out of your tent just because you asked him to. And so that is a well for me to remind me that God has done it before and he'll do it again. He's cured my tent of ants. He'll do it again. He's healed my body. He'll do it again. 
He's been faithful before. He'll do it again. So when I think about what does it look like to live like Jesus, it's a reminder of the wells that the Lord has and the faithfulness that we see in Jesus. To have courage to step out, to find peace, to find rest, to know that God has been faithful before and he will be again. Take a minute right now and sit with the Lord and ask him, what are some of the wells in your life? Write them down. Smile about them again. Return to that moment and re-feel the excitement and the appreciation. Sit there for a second and realize that the ants are gone from your tent. As always, friends, thanks for listening. I hope the Lord got your attention in everything that he wanted to speak to you today. Maybe you learned something. Maybe you saw something from a different perspective. I would love to hear about it. Let's connect on Instagram or email, katieaxelson.com, where you can find show notes and so much more. If this podcast was helpful to you, I would love for you to rate it and leave a review. That's how others will find it as well. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye, everybody. (laughs) 